0: This is one of my favorite days of the entire year. So much show that I wish it was a holiday. You like that, so much show? One of my favorite times to do a show is the first Monday of the NFL season. Tanner Hoops with you in the sports pen. Glad that you're with me on this Monday afternoon. Just in a great mood today because the NFL is back. College football, high school football all getting into full swing. Weather's starting to get a little more fally. I know it doesn't last very long up here. I love the fall season. I love everything that comes with it. That gives me a lot of content, a lot to break down over the course of the next hour or so, and I'm glad to have you along while we do it. A very special announcement coming up. We've got an update on our sports pen Pick'em pulls, pools. Friends of the show picking professional sports games from over the weekend will let you know what the standings look like. As week one starts to wind down, got a little bit of baseball, a little bit of basketball news, a lot of football, both pro and college. We'll even throw in a little bit of skiing. Got a couple of guests who are going to join me. We're going to talk about the slopes here in the late stages of summer. But we're going to start with football, and we're going to start by updating our sports pen friends of the show, Pick'Em Standings. In case you missed it, our friends of the show, our usual guests, get-together, we have five games Throughout each week of the football season this year, and we are going to add them up as we go along. See who has the most games correctly picked by the end of the season. I tell you what, yours truly is three and zero. We had three games happen already. The other two are both the Monday night football games tonight. Thankfully, your boys on top. I have, I had Green Bay, the Rams, and New England all winning this weekend. They did. Jake Durant, Ryan Steger, each two and one. Michael. Hoefling and Tyree Smith, each one and two. So tonight I've got New Orleans to beat Houston, although I think that's going to be a really fun game. I think both teams will win their division. And then I'm going to go with Denver over Oakland. I don't remember what I said last week. I think we can make an exception. All that goes out the window with what happened this weekend. I'm going to get into that too. I've got a lot of audio, a lot of fun audio I'm going to play for you over the course of the next hour. I tell you what, Monday night football finally back and we get a doubleheader of it. Get a really good game. And then a game between not you know, so good teams, but it could be entertaining. Denver, Oakland tonight, and then of course New Orleans and Houston to start the evening at 7.15. But what I want to do is I want to go back yesterday and I want to recap several of those games that happened, give you some thoughts that I have on those, and then I've got a lot of stats of the day. I could not even begin to narrow down to one stat of the day. Way too much good stuff out there. So we're going to maybe have a stat of each game, something like that. Some games, like one in particular, I'm going to get to have about three stats for it. We're going to get to all that and more over the course of the next hour, but let's jump right into the NFL. Briefly, I want to give you my thoughts on several of these games yesterday. Starting with the Rams and the Panthers, a 30-27 win for LA. It looked like it was going to be a blowout early on, and then Carolina started creeping back into that thing. I said that, Sean McVay going up against Ron Rivera was one of the worst matchups that you could ask for if you're a guy like Rivera on one of the hottest seats in the NFL. His seat didn't get much cooler yesterday. I tell you what, the Rams, they look pretty good. Jared Goff offensively, 23 for 39, 186 yards, one TD, one pick. Todd Gurley, a slow start. We knew that might happen coming back from injury. He was 5 of 8 at one point. Five touches for eight yards. Finished a little bit stronger, 14 touches for 97 yards. Didn't get into the end zone, though. Malcolm Brown did on 11 carries. Went for 53 yards and two scores. Overall, L.A. did enough to win. For Carolina, who would have guessed this? They were highlighted by Christian McCaffrey, touted the ball 19 times for 128 yards and two scores, then caught the ball 10 times for 81 yards. He was doing it both ways. He is the PPR master, but nonetheless... Not a lot else around him other than Greg Olson, Cam Newton. You want to go that far? Maybe. Carolina disappointed yesterday. Second half was a little bit better, but they've got work to do if they want to be a serious playoff contender this year. This was a fun one. Tennessee dismantling the Cleveland Browns. Cleveland had been celebrating all summer. You kind of feel bad for them because... They haven't had a lot of success the last few years. And then you kind of don't feel bad for them because they went on their victory tour before they even played a regular season game. And they get thumped yesterday by the Tennessee Titans, without their best offensive lineman, put up 43 points on Cleveland. That revamped Cleveland team. Outside of their first drive, nothing went right for the Browns. And Tennessee, just like that, is looking like they are going to be a power in the AFC South. The newly wide-open AFC South without Andrew Luck. So I tell you what, Cleveland, a lot of reason to be discouraged. Since they came back in the NFL in the year 1999, they have won one season opener. How about that? They're victorious in just one week one game since 1999. Jeff Garcia, former CFL champion, was the winning quarterback of that game. And they get blown out yesterday with arguably the most talented team since their resurgence. Since maybe Jim Brown was playing. Otto Graham, those days, they get blown out by 30 against the Tennessee Titans. I tell you what, Odell Beckham, he struggled, did play with an NFL violation, $350,000 wristwatch, but that didn't help, that didn't help anybody's cause. Tennessee rolls yesterday, and Jarvis Landry had one of my favorite post-game interviews. By his locker, yeah, he wasn't happy with the outcome with the final score, and maybe some reporter speculation, take a listen. Good luck of playing time in the preseason. Have something to do with it?
1: don't ask me no question like that. Okay. Are we done? Yeah. Preseason got to do with everything, though. What
2: are you talking about? I don't care about nobody. You're asking why I asked you. Come on. You're talking about my life.
0: You kind of feel bad for those fans because they've been so starved for success for so long. But then you kind of don't because you don't go on your victory lap. You don't take your victory tour before you officially kick off the season. Cleveland dismantled by Tennessee yesterday, 43-13. to 13. How about the carnage ball down in Jacksonville? That game was absolute carnage. Kansas City comes away with a 40-26 win over the Jaguars. But at what cost? It was a battle of attrition. Nick Foles goes down. The prize free agent signing from this offseason, $88 million, comes in as quarterback, and immediately, like five minutes into the ball game, breaks his collarbone. He had surgery today. He's officially on the injured reserve. The earliest he could come back is week 11. But Garner Minshew, thankfully, for Jacksonville, stepped in, played pretty well. I mean, we know he's a passer. We know he's a guy that's got skills throwing the football. He went to Washington State, played for Mike Leach. This was a guy who was not even planning on playing in college, let alone the NFL He was going to go to Alabama and be a student assistant coach. And then Mike Leach said, why don't you come play for me? You're a passing quarterback. I'm a passing coach. Just goes on to, I don't know, lead the nation in passing last year. And now he's a starter in the NFL. Garner Minshew II, the stash. How about it? And he looked good yesterday, as I mentioned. He set a record by completing the first 13 passes of his career that is the longest streak since the NFL merger back in the 1960s in fact the only player who's come close to the completing his first 13 passes of his career Brad Johnson completed his first nine back in 1994 that's how good Garner Minshew was yesterday and they put up 26 points on a Chiefs defense that's better that was their weak spot last year but they're better this season We've got a few more weapons, and the Chiefs are still probably the second-best team in the AFC right now, second-most complete team. Still wasn't a bad game for Jacksonville. It was just that good of a game for Kansas City. Although Tariq Hill went down, clavicle injury. The interior clavicle started pushing against the sternum at one point. It was dislocated. If you feel your collarbone right now, you know don't do it if you're driving, whatever. you, care about your safety, but if you feel your collarbone, that part where the clavicle meets the sternum or something like that it got pushed in so it's rubbing against the sternum but nonetheless kansas city had plenty of weapons damian williams looked really good cream who damian williams picked it up you knew running backs would and andy reed system travis kelsey had a pretty good game sammy watkins was the big story though and guess who had sammy watkins on his bench yesterday Yours truly, (laughs) 46 fantasy points, according to ESPN yesterday, and he was on my bench. And you know who was in his place, starting in his place in my fantasy lineup? Dee Westbrook from Jacksonville on the other side. And he had about 14 points. Wasn't a bad guy to put in there. That's about what you would expect from a guy like that. I thought it would be a sleeper pick with a passing quarterback. I just didn't think it'd be Garner Minshew, and I certainly didn't think Sammy Watkins would have his annual breakout game in week one. Have you ever noticed that Sammy Watkins has one game a year where he gets like 40, 50 fantasy points and then nothing the rest of the year? I tell you what, the most amazing stat from yesterday, Sammy Watkins on one of his touchdown catches when he sprinted into the end zone, someone had the radar gun on him. They clocked his speed. And on one particular touchdown, he was clocked at going 21.3 miles an hour. A human being running 21 miles an hour. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that there's a route, not that I know of, I don't think there's a route from the station to my home that exceeds 20 miles an hour, which means if Sammy Watkins ran from the radio station to my home, then he would get dinged for speeding. Like He could not be late for class when he was a kid because if he ran through a school zone, he'd be going over the speed limit. He'd be going over 20 miles an hour. That's how fast Sammy Watkins is. And that's how good the Chiefs' offense is going to be. Chiefs absolutely rule yesterday. They could put up 50 if they want to. Instead, they settle for a 40-26 win over Jacksonville. This one, maybe the least competitive game of all yesterday. Baltimore all over Miami, 59-10. to Lamar Jackson for MVP? Eh, let's wait. Let's wait till they play somebody who's not the Miami Dolphins. The equivalent of a AAA team playing NFL football right now. Maybe even A baseball team. They didn't look like a football team, let alone an NFL team yesterday. They're not a great litmus test. They won't be this year. By the way, Ryan Fitzpatrick sets NFL records yesterday throwing a touchdown for the eighth team in his career. Also, threw an interception for the eighth team in his career. Eh, I don't know what you take out of that stat. Because good quarterbacks don't play for eight different teams, generally. However, what do you take away from that game? How about for Baltimore? They are the first team to score at least 42 points before halftime of a single game since the 2014 Packers in Week 10 when they beat the Bears. Baltimore had 42 points by halftime. Nobody had done that since 2014 when the Packers did so against the Bears. Baltimore rolls yesterday, and Lamar Jackson's got an arm. I tell you what, don't say he's a running back. He's got an arm. Showed it off yesterday, but again, the Miami Dolphins, that's not it. Let's keep moving on. Maybe the biggest disappointment yesterday, and I say maybe because there were a few, the Atlanta Falcons laying an egg up in Minnesota. They fall to the Vikings 28-12. Are the Vikings that good, or did Atlanta disappoint that much? I think it's a little of both. The Minnesota defense is for real. I thought they would be. I don't know how many people knew they would be. I thought they would be. Dalvin Cook looked everything like what they wanted him to be, especially coming off injury, now is just going to be keeping him healthy. Atlanta just looked miserable. I said Dan Quinn's seat was one of the top four most hot seats in the NFL entering play. I said that on Friday. Well, it's steaming right now. That was not a good showing for the Atlanta Falcons, especially on defense where Dan Quinn makes his bread and butter. Is that a saying? Makes his bread and butter? Makes his money? gets Earns his bread and butter? How about that? He gets his bread on the defensive end. He wasn't yesterday. I tell you what, the Vikings are going to be that good this year. We saw every team in the division play at least one game in week one. The Vikings are clearly the best team in the North. They're a good team. I thought Atlanta and Minnesota would be the most improved teams in the NFC this year. Vikings certainly looked that way. Atlanta did not. Dan Quinn's got to find a way to turn it around and quick. How about this debacle for the New York Jets anyway? Coley, come back. The Buffalo Bills a race, of 16 nothing deficit. They beat the New York Jets 17-16. to A lot of storylines in this game. The Jets continue to struggle at their kicking position. I think Stugat said it best today. Carly Lloyd, New York Jets, collision course. Chandler Catanzaro, their original kicker, retired after the first preseason game where he struggled miserably. Then they go out and they sign Kari Vedvik, who the Vikings cut two weeks ago, and he leaves four points off the board. Misses a field goal, misses a PAT, and the Jets lose by one. You think about that. You think about how close that could have been to completely changing the outcome. Instead, New York blows a 16 nothing lead and Buffalo, who played horrific up to that point, with an impressive turnaround. And I tell you what, Josh Allen, here are like three good stats that you can take out of that game. Josh Allen turned the ball over four times before halftime and yet still came back to win. The last quarterback to turn the ball over four times in a single half was another Buffalo Bill quarterback, Mr. Nathan Peterman, week 11 of 2017. Also, the Buffalo Bills have won on the road with four turnovers for the first time since week 2, 1994. They went on the road to Foxborough, turned the ball over four times, and they still beat. The New England Patriots, thirty-eight to thirty-five. And how about this one? Just how rare is it for a team to blow a double-digit lead and still be plus three in turnover differential, like the Jets did yesterday? Last time it happened was October two thousand ten, when the New York Giants rallied to get by the Dallas Cowboys. Absolute debacle for the Jets yesterday. Tell you what, Sam Darnes is not an NFL quarterback. Is not said it since his days at USC. The Redskins I said Jay Gruden was the hottest-seeded coach entering the season. Well, he was up 17 nothing on a team that was predicted to win the division, and then they blew it. Lose to the Eagles, 32-27. Carson Wentz looked really good in the second half. Struggled early on. Case Keenum was winning the quarterback battle. Carson Wentz had a perfect passer rating on third down yesterday. He completed 93% of his passes on third or fourth down yesterday. He was everything you wanted them to be, especially after the first quarter. Deshaun Jackson, his return to Philly. couple deep bombs he got behind the defense. He's still got it. We're approaching our first break, so we've got to hurry through the last few of these. We've got the Chargers. No running back? Eh, they wouldn't say that. Apparently, no Melvin Gordon needs no problem for them. Austin Eckler scores the game-winning touchdown. They beat the Colts 30-24 to in overtime. Yeah, Melvin Gordon had to be a Colts fan that day. But Austin Eckler gets the job done, and Phillip Rivers looked really good in that game. Phillip Rivers was a pretty good fantasy quarterback yesterday. This game I didn't think would be much of one. Turned out to be a good game. You heard it here on ESPN-UP yesterday. As the Seahawks, with a late fumble recovery, end up hanging on to beat the Cincinnati Bengals 21-20. to I tell you what, Zach Taylor in his head coaching debut, he looked pretty good. And so did Andy Dalton. Keep in mind, Zach Taylor, as the QB coach for the Rams last year, helped Jared Goff get to the Super Bowl. Andy Dalton, under Zach Taylor yesterday, 35 of 51, 418 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Maybe a resurgence for Andy Dalton. How about it? I tell you what, don't count up the Bengals yet. I know it was a losing effort, but they played better yesterday than two of their division rivals did. Here's one of the bigger disappointments, especially for fans in this area. A 27-27 tie, Lions at Cardinals. Lions led by 18 in the fourth quarter, had multiple chances to win it, and then they go to overtime, neither team can score. And we still have ties in pro sports in 2019 is beyond stupid, beyond ridiculous to me. I was getting into it with somebody yesterday arguing that you have to have some sort of tie in pro sports. You can't just let a game go on forever. I'm thinking, well, we have that model in the playoffs. What are we going to do then? Are we going to say, we can't just let the game go on? We don't have the ability to determine a winner? I guess that the NBA should just cut off any kind of second overtime. One overtime is it. Major League Baseball games should not be allowed to go past 10 innings. Part of their argument was, it's already demanding and a demanding sport. Okay, well, football plays once. 16 weeks out of the year. Baseball plays about every day over the course of six months. It kind of gets on the same par. Maybe not exactly, maybe not to a tee, but they even things out just a little bit that way. Come on, ties in pro sports? Come on, this is 2019. And I tell you what, Stafford, for the most part, had a pretty good game. Oh, but Tremaine Brock could have ended it with the near interception that would have at the very least set up a game-winning field goal at the end of overtime. Some good news for the Lions, though. T.J. Hawkinson, their top draft pick this year out of Iowa, he set an NFL record for tight end receiving yards in his NFL debut. Tight end receiving yards in an NFL debut being the stat. 124 receiving yards for Hawkinson yesterday. Nobody had done that since prior to the NFL merger on September 25, 1960. The Super Bowl wasn't even a thing when a tight end last got that many yards receiving in their debut. But the last time it happened was Monty Stickles of the San Francisco 49ers, 123 yards on September 25th, 1960. Tell you what, got a couple more here before we get to the break. San Fran, 31-17, they beat Tampa Bay. Another thing Stu Gatz had right on the Dan Levitard Show earlier this afternoon Jimmy Garoppolo was not the winning quarterback as San Francisco beat Tampa Bay yesterday. Jameis Winston had more to do with the 49ers' win over the Bucs than Jimmy Garoppolo did, and Jimmy G needs to figure it out, and fast. The New York Giants scored first, but then it was all Cowboys as Dallas rolls 35-17 over New York. They should have fired Scott Linehan a long time ago. Kellen Moore, and he's the real deal. He can set up an offense, and Dak Prescott, I've been hard on him. But you gotta give credit where credit's due. And Dak Prescott looked every bit like a man who is playing for and deserves a new contract, which I think he's gonna get before he takes a field in week two. Yesterday Dak was twenty five of thirty-two, four hundred five yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. Now Kellen Moore, does he really make all that difference? Apparently he does. Dallas looking good yesterday. And finally the Sunday night game, the Patriots absolutely roll Pittsburgh thirty-three to three. I mean, what do you say about that one? New England is about to get one of the best receivers in this generation, and they already look every bit like the team that's going to repeat for the Super Bowl. When we come back, we're going to talk a little skin. Got two experts with me to... Take you to the slopes here in the final weeks of summer. Next on ESPN-UP.
2: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: The Sports Pen lives here on ESPN-UP. Online with our app, Tanner Hoops, with you. Glad you're along this Monday afternoon. Couple of guests in studio with me as we turn our attention to the slopes and talk a little skiing. I'm joined by the two coaches of the Ishpeming Ski Club, Dick Ziegler. He's a head cross country coach there, and Gary Rasmussen coaches jumps. Appreciate you both being here. How you doing?
2: Thanks for having us. Great day. Nice and sunny. You need your sunglasses out there today, so it's wonderful. You
0: like this, although snow's not quite here yet. It's going to be coming before long, and your guys' season is going to start up, and I know you guys are already busy getting preparations underway. Tell me about what this stage is like for you two.
2: Well, dick skiers never rest on the cross-country side, and jumpers don't get much rest either. They dry line train in between jumping sessions but starting next tuesday the 17th of september we're going to be jumping on our three smaller hills again the 13 meter 25 and 40 so we're getting ready to kick it into gear for fall training
0: tell you what dick what is the off season well if there is any off season what are we in right now would you call it an off season if so what are you guys doing
1: For cross-country, yes, it is an off-season, but summer is, and this is the end of summer, summer is the time when skiers are made. Uh, So skiers are out uh, building strength, they're doing a lot of roller skiing, a lot of running, uh, hill-bounding, all to get ready so that when snow is here, they are ready to go.
0: Well, and Gary, I want to give our listeners a little more background on the history of the ski club because you and I were talking before we hit the air, and some of the stories you have are just fascinating. If you could inform our listeners a little bit more about the ski club and its past.
2: Well, the ski club dates all the way back to 1887, and it was founded in Ishpeming, Michigan by Norwegian settlers, and they started holding international competitions right then and there. Um, we're heading into our 133rd annual tournament. Um, during the course of that century and a third, we've had many, many national champions, Olympic team members, national team members, and it's really a proud heritage and history of, of the, the Marquette County ski jumpers. Know we've had great jumpers from Ishpeming, Nagani, and Marquette, and we continue to do so. So it's it's been a, a wonderful place to grow up for myself in ski jumping. You know, I jumped from 1964 till 2009. You know, I coached at, at the Olympic Training Center back in the 80s and 90s. I was on the ski jumping team at Northern before the NCAA eliminated it. So we've had a lot going on here. Um, Cross country was brought into the fold in the 1970s where we built some of the most wonderful trails in the nation. And we have some of the best snow conditions in the nation. So it's been a, a proud heritage. We've got one of the best jumping facilities in the United States. We've got five jumps out at Suicide, ranging from a 13 meter to an Olympic 90 meter and so we're we we are up and coming because we have a great junior program but we also have a proud history so we're looking to improve upon that and build upon it you
0: said this is the 133rd running of your event and that's got to be up there nationally do you have any idea where your tournament stands as compared to some other events nationally
2: we're the longest running and i think we're the longest running athletic event in the United States of America next to a handball club in New Jersey who's got one year on us.
0: I want to give our listeners a little background on you two. Dick, tell me about your background and how you came to be involved with skiing, more specifically coaching the cross-country team.
1: Our family moved here to the Marquette area in 2010 and our two young sons uh, thought that ski jumping might be something they'd like to give a try Uh, We took them out there. There weren't many kids at the time jumping. Gary was not coaching at the time. He wasn't here. Uh, But they both took to it, really enjoyed it. Uh, Our older one no longer jumps, but our younger one is still competing. Uh, But as for the cross-country part, I competed all through high school and college uh, on a cross-country ski team uh, in the east. Uh, I grew up in New Hampshire and then I uh, went to college at St. Lawrence University and Ski Division I uh, there for them. So it, it's been a part of my life since I was quite young.
0: Tell me about some ways you've seen the program grow and maybe some plans that you have for it in the future.
1: The uh, cross-country portion has grown significantly. In 2015, we, the club started a high school and middle school uh, Nordic ski team that wasn't just cross-country, and that was the beauty of it. It is a cross-country and a ski-jumping and a Nordic combined team. Nordic combined being the sport that combines ski-jumping and cross-country into essentially one uh, scored event. Uh, We started that team in 2015 with uh, almost 30 kids from Nagani, Ishpeming, and Marquette competing on that team, and it has continued to be about the same size team since then. Uh, And we're looking forward to another uh, year, uh, another season, that hopefully will be just as good as the past.
0: So if somebody wanted to get involved with this, how would they go about getting a hold of you
2: guys? Well, ishkiclub.com is a real... Wonderful website that's been built in the last couple of years, so you can go on to our website and get contact information The Ishbeming Ski Club on Facebook has all of our contact information Um, My personal account Gary Rasmussen on Facebook. I'm always adding things on there So you can contact us in any one of those ways our website and Facebook will give you contact information to reach Dick myself or others in the ski club Um, You know, and and on the the sport building, um, another thing that we've seen make significant leaps in in recent years is the size of our tournaments. Um, When I started coaching, we're going on four years now, that I've been back at the Ishpeming Ski Club after being away for 14 years. Uh, We only had a handful of kids come to our junior tournament about five years ago. I think we had three out-of-town skiers and then our own kids. Um, Even the big tournament on Suicide Hill was getting down to where we had smaller numbers participating. And we really made a national campaign to appeal to the United States Ski Association members and all the member clubs that we have to be in this together. And I started going to conferences and panel meetings and stating the fact that if we don't promote each other, that we are going to be in trouble and we grew to where we've had close to 40 jumpers internationally and domestically the last couple of years. And we've had some of the greatest crowds that we've had in the history of our event. We hold it now on a Tuesday night, and we can't fit any more cars in a parking lot. There's cars parked all the way to Ishbirming, Antonagani on the highway. And we've been running wonderful competitions, and we've been getting a lot of jumpers from out east, out west, from Europe and it's really grown significantly in the last couple of years.
0: Talking with Dick Ziegler and Gary Rasmussen, the head coaches of the Ishpeming Ski Club. I tell you what, guys, you've got a full schedule coming up, and really this is where it's going to start getting to the jam-packed part of the year for you. What are some events you want to make our listeners aware of?
1: Well, we'll start off uh, with a a team meeting uh, to get ready for the winter season, Uh, an informational meeting for kids who are interested in joining our Nordic Ski Team. And that will be on Monday, October 21st. It's a meeting we hold at the uh, Ski Hall of Fame in Ishpeming. Uh, we'll meet at seven o'clock. And that's, an, as I said, an informational meeting. We'll uh, let people know our, how our programs work, when we'll be starting up, um, and that kind of information. Then in early December, and this will be something new that we're trying, we will be offering a learn-to-ski-jump day for kids in the area, Marquette, Nagani, Ishpeming, anywhere. Uh, They can come try out ski-jumping on our 13-meter hill. And this is, of course, weather-dependent, assuming that we do have some snow at that point. Uh, And then uh, a week after that, uh, we'll have equipment sign-out day, and then shortly after that, start practicing on snow, weather-dependent, of course.
0: Well, Dick, I'm glad you brought up equipment, because this seems like a sport in which it could deter participation because of the equipment, because of the cost for it. Something like hockey, where the sport's not as popular as it could be because there's a lot of expense in order to participate. Is that one of the challenges you've seen?
1: We certainly do. Um, We provide ski jumping equipment for all skiers. Uh, Skis, boots, helmets, and suits are provided by the club. We own the equipment, we sign it out to the kids, uh, and they have it until they grow out of it. Um, But the equipment ages, of course, and uh, needs to be replaced. Uh, Sometimes we'll have too many kids that are the same size and not quite enough uh, pairs of skis or boots to, to meet those needs. But Gary's been working toward getting more equipment for the club and modernizing a lot of the equipment that we do have.
2: One thing a lot of people don't realize, if you go back just a generation or two, which would be the parents of our current children, they remember telling Dad, I'd like to try ski jumping, and Dad had to go out and get equipment. But if you go back to my childhood, you could get a pair of jumping skis for 40 bucks and a pair of boots for 25 A kid could wear long underwear under a sweatsuit, and we didn't even wear helmets. Kids would come out with choppers on their hands. It was a whole different animal back then. Today, it takes between 1000 thousand and fifteen hundred and $1,500 to deck out a kid from head to toe. Helmets, goggles, jumpsuit, boots, and skis. Bindings are $250 a pair. Um, boots are 250 to 500 Skis are 250 to 500 So we know we will never get a new ski jumper unless some rich kid comes out to the hill. So we really do our best to update and replenish our supply and provide modern, up-to-date equipment because we really have to do that to be competitive in the world of ski jumping today. So, Gary,
0: tell me about how many students, participants do you have at any given time?
2: Well, we've been attracting between 40 and 50 kids each winter, and we end up retaining somewhere between 10 and 20. And so most of the summer when we skied, we would have somewhere between 6 and 15 kids out there, and that's a nice number. You can work well with 15 kids. Um, If you get 6 kids out there, you have a wonderful training session. When we have 40 or 50 kids, which is what we've had at the beginning of the last several winters, it's a little bit overwhelming. And we do run thin on gear when we have that many. But even though the 13-meter landing is the size of a big pitcher's mound, the kids thread themselves out rather quickly. And and a lot of the little ones try one trip down the hill and they're in the car and off to home. It doesn't happen... Often, but it does happen. Um, The kids we retain are the kids that go up there, put them on, and go and have a blast right from the get-go. And we've retained most of those kids. We've got some really nice competitive kids right now. Um, All of our skiers are not just jumpers but participate in Nordic combined. So they're cross-country skiing, which is the most wonderful sport on earth for developing core strength and endurance. If you want to be a good football player, basketball player, baseball player, hockey player, if you cross-country ski, you will be better in each and every one of those sports just because you do that. And so we try to attract kids to come out and and learn to be outside, away from your device, getting fresh air, getting the lungs and heart rocking and, and moving around in the great white north.
0: Well, Gary, before we hit the air, you were talking to me about some of the original skiers at the ski club over there in Ishpeming, and you were telling me how they'd go out in town and they were revered as some of the most popular guys in the UP. Tell our listeners about some of those stories, if you would.
2: Well, I've always said that the ski jumpers from the 30s, 40s, and 50s, which we had about a half a dozen or more ski jumpers on the Olympic team, On world championship teams, national championships, they walked around Marquette County like the Lombardi Packers walked around Green Bay, and that is no exaggeration. Those men were prominent; our communities were proud of them. They made their mark, and they carried this sport for a good many years. And if you go back to 1887, the Ishpeming Ski Club had people on national teams all the way up until recent years and and we've actually got tim ziegler right now on the central national team he's jumped in the junior nationals two years in a row also competed in nordic combined so it's it's really been something special and when i was a kid went out to the suicide hill tournaments it was just a magnificent event and a lot of the jumps and a lot of reaction from the crowd was chilling I mean, somebody would have a long jump on Suicide Hill and people would honk their horns. I'm talking hundreds of horns being honked, people screaming. It was just remarkable. Um, We've also had Olympic medalists participate at Suicide Bowl. We have world-class competitions every single year. And it was really something to grow up around and really something to still see today.
0: Gary, Dick, anything before we sign off that I missed? Anything else that you want our listeners to be aware of for the upcoming season?
2: Well, primarily just anybody can try it. I mean, we've had young kids as as small as three years old jump that little 13-meter hill. Go on com. get our contact information on Ish Ski Club Facebook page. Um, come on out and try it. We've also had... School teacher from Grand Rapids, 42, came out and jumped one weekend. We had a, a collegiate professor a couple of weeks ago, um, 67 years old, came out and gave it a try. So we'll help anybody suit up and give it a whirl. Um, you know, it's, it's nice if you've got some ski experience, but we'll work with anybody who wants to try it. Um, we'll be going one week from tomorrow, um, September 17th. We'll be back on our fall session of plastic. Um, That's always fun. Plastic, in my opinion, is the perfect ski surface because all you do is turn on the water and go. There's no shoveling or grooming or any work involved, and the kids have a blast on it. So, um, Dick, anything to add?
1: Uh, Yes. Um, Everybody starts ski jumping on our small 13-meter hill. They start by riding the landing, just going down the landing, which is not very steep, and it's, it's a great place to start and everybody advances at their own rate when they are ready, then away they go. Uh, it's, it's, it's a perfect sport for just about anybody to give a try. Uh, we would love to have as many kids out there skiing uh, as possible, so come on out and we'll give it a shot.
0: Gary Rasmussen and Dick Ziegler, the head coaches at the Ishpeming Ski Club. Appreciate you both being here. That was fascinating. Look forward to come checking you guys out. Thanks again. Thank you much. Let's take a time out. Let's get to what you missed over the weekend next on ESPN-UP.
2: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Tanner Hoops with
0: you. Glad to have you along on this Monday afternoon. As we head into the back end of our sports pen segment for today, I tell you what, we've been, we've been chatting about some pretty cool stuff here early on. The hour's gone flying by, but here is your Sports Center update. The US beat Brazil. 89-73 to 73 in their first World Cup of Basketball, excuse me, their final World Cup of Basketball second round game today. Campbell Walker and Miles Turner each scored 16 points to lead the way. The U.S. now moves to 5-0 and in tournament play and takes on France Wednesday morning in the quarterfinals. The Boston Red Sox fired team president Dave Dombrowski just after midnight very early this morning. This comes less than one year after Dombrowski was the architect behind the Red Sox team that won the World Series. And finally, LSU head football coach Ed Orgeron said that his team didn't have air conditioning in the visitors' locker room Saturday night at Texas. They were tipped off by Louisiana Tech, who played at Texas the week earlier, uh, a week earlier, and they brought portable fans. How about that for pettiness? Texas does not give the visitors AC in the visiting locker room. That's great. I love it. I have some respect for Texas for doing something like that because uh, there's a move that a certain show guest we're going to have on here. It would just sound like something he would do that he would be proud of. we got a special announcement here on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. If you checked our social media lately, you know this, but a very special announcement that I teased on the show last week. We are ready to make it official. If you listen to this station from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. here in the East Coast every weekday, you'll hear the Dan Lebitard Show with Stu Gatz. And as you know, anyone who's a fan of that show is really a fan of Stu Gatz. Why wouldn't you be? He is the mischievous nine-year-old personified, the sports fan in all of us mixed with the mischievous nine-year-old. And he will be a guest on the sports pen Tomorrow. Stu Gatz of the Nan Levitard Show with Stu will be on the ESPN-UP phone line. He'll be hanging out with me, and we are going to have him as a special guest on a very special episode of the Sports Pen tomorrow. It's my hope that you join us for Eastern, 3 Central. Stu Gatz is going to be on headset with us. We're going to talk everything from football, lacrosse. You know, he's an avid lacrosse fan. He's a coach from week to week. That is all coming up tomorrow. Plus, we're going to have some some special segments He's a fun guy. He's a fun guy to have around and uh, and to be able to talk with. So it is going to be a fun show tomorrow, and I hope that you tune in. For now, though, we got a little bit more to catch you up on here over the weekend, including college football. We're going to look ahead to week three of the college football season, coming up with Over or Under, which we're going to play here in about... Five, ten minutes, something like that. First, got to give you their stat of the day. Because if you thought that Texas not giving their visitors AC in the locker room was petty, well, this isn't petty, but this is kind of hilarious. If you thought that one was good, this was even better. Julio Jones, we teased on the show Friday. As we were signing off last week, we teased that Julio Jones may be the next star NFL player to hold out. Well, he wanted a new contract. He got it. That holdout didn't last long. They weren't willing to wait. They gave Julio Jones his money. So we got his new contract, $66 million. That makes him the highest paid wide receiver in NFL history. It is the most lucrative contract at that specific position group in league history. Now let me give you some perspective on that. If we put Julio Jones in the NBA right now, he would have the 21st most lucrative contract in professional basketball right behind Boyan Boydanovich. Julio Jones, one of the best wide receivers in football, now the highest paid wide receiver in football history, is making less money annually than Boyan Boydanovich, center for the Indiana Pacers. If I were Julio, that would make me mad, but he's got a new contract. He's happy with it. I tell you what, what to catch you up on over the course of this weekend. I'm sure everybody knows the Antonio Brown news by now. Looked like he was all in Friday. We know Gruden was all in on Friday. Then he posts that conversation with Gruden, a private phone call, tapes a portion of it, and puts it on YouTube or Twitter. Think both. And then by the next day, he's demanding to be released when they find out that $29 million of the $30 million in guaranteed money from his contract with Oakland was going to be voided. A couple hours later, they release him. And then a couple hours after that, he signs with the New England Patriots. Here's the reason why I think this is going to work, why this could be Antonio Brown's last chance. Because Bilicek is not going to put up with it. The Patriots do not need Antonio Brown. They have a good enough team. You saw what they did last night to Pittsburgh, who's going to have one of the better defenses this season when it's all said and done. They dismantled them. Hug up 33 on them. They could have went for more if they really wanted to. This team, as it is right now, is good enough to win the Super Bowl. Right now, they're Super Bowl favorites. They don't need Antonio Brown to put them over the top. Antonio Brown could help. He might put them literally over the top, out of reach from anybody else. But they don't need him. He needs the Patriots a lot more than they need him. However, I think there's reason to be excited if you're Antonio Brown. He posted a video of him celebrating his release from the Oakland Raiders. And I tell you what, you look at this video, it was posted shortly after he was released. Doesn't it look really polished? It looks really finessed, really edited very well. It looks way too good to be something that was slapped together Once he found out that he was released. Well, if you listen to the Dan Lebtard show earlier today, they had the guy who filmed the video on there. 25-year-old from California does videos like this. And they said this was actually going to be a hype video for Monday Night Football. Tonight was supposed to be his Raiders debut. And instead, they just changed a couple of things. Once he found out he got his release, they added in one of the more famous segments, which I'm going to play the audio from for you here in a couple of seconds. And we ended up getting this masterpiece. Now, this next audio segment, the first portion is Antonio Brown finding out that he's been released by the Oakland Raiders, that he is free to sign with any other team. And the next piece of audio you hear is his new head coach, who does not want to take any questions regarding the Antonio Brown saga. Hey, Lossett, let me see it.
1: Look at Adam Shepard. The Raiders. Free!
0: <laughs> Let's oh, go. oh!
1: The freedom bell rings. I be fly like the free, fly like the eagle. <laughs> Let's go, free! Let's go. Oh, I'm free. Oh, oh. Grandma they free me. <laughs> They free me, Grandma. Ah, oh, God, it's the greatest. <laughs> Bill just wanted to see. Do you have any comment on the reports and
0: no, no. of Antonio Brown? I can't decide which piece of audio I like better. Antonio Brown just ecstatic that he is finally out of Oakland, or as Oakland should be ecstatic that they're finally free of that mess. Or Bill Belichick? No, all he hears is the word "reports." Doesn't know what it's about. Just doesn't have any comment. I don't know which piece of audio I like better, but that is just gold. I tell you what, we went early through the first couple of segments. I want to take our last break now as we hit the 10-minute mark. When we come back, we're going to play over-under preview week three of the college football season. That's next on ESPN-UP.
2: Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app.
0: If you missed any part of the show today, you can check it out on demand. Get caught up with our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play or just look up ESPN-UP online. ESPNUP.com would be the website. I tell you what, coming up this weekend on ESPN-UP, we're in the swing of things. We're in the part of the year where we've got Saturday-Sunday baseball, we've got a college football game Saturday, then we've got an NFL doubleheader on ESPN Radio on Sunday. Here's what we're looking at this weekend. 6.30 Saturday night, we've got Clemson at Syracuse ACC football. Syracuse laid an egg this weekend against Maryland, who's back in the top 25 at the first time in like 100 years. But they gave Clemson a good scare last year, and Clemson's got to go to upstate New York to play this one. Could be a fun one. You can hear it here on ESPN-UP. You can also hear the Dodgers visiting the Mets Saturday and Sunday night. That includes Sunday night baseball. Dodgers, with a chance to put away the National League, claim that top spot. Mets are just fighting for their postseason lives right now. Had a stretch where they were the hottest team in baseball for two months. They've cooled off significantly. And then our doubleheader of NFL football on ESPN Radio Sunday. It starts at noon when the Vikings visit the Packers. It continues at 4 when the Saints travel to take on the L.A. Rams in a rematch of last year's NFL, excuse me, NFC Championship game. So Vikings, Packers at noon, and then Saints and Rams at 4 o'clock. That's going to be a fun Sunday here on ESPN-UP. Well, I tell you what, let's play over-under. I like to do this on a weekly basis, give you my thoughts whether I'm taking the over or the under. For all you betters out there, all you playing the money line on the top 25 games this weekend. By the way, this will be the first college football weekend without two ranked teams playing each other since October 14th of 2017. As of last time, we didn't have a ranked versus ranked matchup. It's going to happen this weekend. But quickly, as we're running out of time here on this episode of the Sports Pen, let me give you some of my thoughts on whether you should take the over, under, or take the upset this weekend. How about Washington State at Houston? Cougars favored by seven. Take the over. Take the over. Jalen Hurts and Oklahoma. Really good offense. They do it more with a rushing attack. They beat Houston by 16 points on opening weekend. Washington State. Take the over. They are that good of an air raid attack. Take the over. They're going to beat Houston by more than seven. Ohio State, yeah, you knew there'd be a little drop-off with Urban Meyer leaving, Ryan Day taking over, but they're favored by 15 points at Indiana. I tell you what, if the line was slightly tweaked, I might say, don't take the spread. Don't take the points. Because Indiana's pesky, especially in their home field. But 15 points, I think Ohio State can do that. I get the feeling Ohio State can do it. Justin Fields, it's hard to tell. It's hard to gauge what we really have with him this year. But I'm going to go with Ohio State in this one, and I'm going to go by the 15-plus points. Maryland, one touchdown favorites at Temple. I'm not taking it. I'm going that Temple is going to be within at least a touchdown, if not win this game. They're so pesky at Lincoln Financial, and Maryland brand-new to the top 25. Coming off a huge win against Syracuse, I wouldn't be shocked if Temple wins this game. I am taking, I'm taking the under on that one for sure, and I'm thinking about taking the upset. I'll get back to you later this week. Penn State plus 17 at Pitt, take the over. Just just do it. Aaron Donald's not at Pitt; he's not coming back anytime soon. Georgia plus 32. They are at Arkansas. Excuse me, they're home with Arkansas State this weekend. Do it. Take the dogs. Ugga, plus 32. Notre Dame at home by 36 points. They are favored to beat New Mexico. Yeah, just do it. Just take the over. Notre Dame's offense looked really good at times against Louisville. Their touchdown drives, they looked unstoppable. Now, obviously, they weren't unstoppable every drive. But Louisville's a much better team, much improved team. And this is New Mexico that's going to be playing with an interim head coach. I'm taking the points on Notre Dame. Alabama, plus 24-point favorites at South Carolina. Over, USC, three-point favorites at BYU. Under, under. BYU is a pesky team. USC with a backup quarterback, not convinced. Not convinced, not going on the road. How about this one? You've got Iowa State favored by two points at home against the University of Iowa. Tell you what, I'm picking the upset in that one. I'm from Iowa, I'm not a Cyclone, I'm not a Hawkeye but I'm going with Iowa to pull the upset. Even though State is favored by two points, Iowa just seems to own this series lately. They just have. And you got to think about why College Game Day picked this game. Did they pick it more because of Iowa or Iowa State? The rivalry's been lopsided lately. That's clearly been in Iowa's favor. I don't think they picked it for Iowa State because this is a team that started the year in the top 25. They've since fallen out. Is it that impressive to go to triple overtime with an FCS team? and then have a bye week, does that warrant college game day? Is that making Ames a must-have for college game day? No, it's because Iowa's put up 38 straight points in two consecutive weeks. I'm not saying that they didn't do it against Cupcakes, but I'm saying that Iowa is looking to rebound with the loss of two top-tier tight ends. They've got a really good quarterback that looks like he could potentially get a shot at the next level. I'm going to go with Iowa to get the upset over Iowa State. Sparty. They are plus 11-point favorites against the fighting Herm Edwards, the Arizona State Sun Devils. I'm taking the under. Sparty's offense just hasn't given me enough reason to believe yet. Auburn, 34-point favorites against Kent State. I'll take the over. Florida, 10-point favorites at Kentucky. If the line was 14, I'd probably take the under. I'll do it, though, with 10. Kentucky's pesky. But Florida State, yeah, I think Felipe Franks has just enough that they could win ugly, but they'll win ugly by two scores. Oklahoma, 20-point favorites at UCLA. Over. Jalen Hurts against Chip Kelly. That's a no-brainer. That's easy money, and I'm taking Oklahoma with the over. How about Wisconsin, 23-point favorites against Hawaii. Over. Jonathan Taylor against the Rainbow Warriors. We're taking the over. Clemson, 25-point favorites this weekend at SU. Take the over. Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, they've won ugly before, and winning ugly for them, like against Georgia Tech a couple of weeks ago when Trevor Lawrence didn't play all that well, is still winning by like five touchdowns. Take the over. And then the final ranked team in action this weekend, Texas, trying to bounce back from a loss against LSU on Saturday night. They are favored by 30 at Rice. I'm going to take the under. I think Texas still wins that one handily. I just don't think they're going to do it by 30 points. I tell you what, with that, we're out of time. We wrapped it up pretty nicely. Got through the end of the hour. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. And a reminder, I'm back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope you join me. And Stu Gatz from the Dan Levitard Show with Stu Gatz. In case you missed that, he will be our special guest tomorrow on a very special episode of the Sports Pen. We're going to be talking everything football to lacrosse, maybe a little stupidity. Stupidity meets the Sports Pen stupidity. We'll let you come up with that over the course of the next 24 hours. I will talk at you then. Stu Gatz will join me. It's my hope you join us. Until then, signing off from ESPN UPWZM studios in downtown Marquette, Michigan. I'm Tanner Hoops. Have a great rest of your Monday.